Welcome back to Real Footnotes, our first mini-sode of 2018. It's the year of the dog. Who let the dogs out? I was actually born in the year of the dog. Yeah, I was born in the year of the cock. Well, that makes sense because you're in fact a dick. <laughs> well, you're a real cunt, so I guess that makes the podcast heteronormative. <laughs> That's good. Anyway, I like that. So, uh, how are things down in the tropics? Fine. You know, the weather is obviously terrible. <laughs> oh, yeah? It's terrible? Yeah, it's all, oh, it's always a terrible day down here. But, uh, so how are things in D.C.? Well, the government is actually closed today because of high winds, which, come on, guys, how are we supposed to stay ahead of China if we shut the government down just because it's windy? That's <laughs> really messed up. So, like, uh, can, can you hear wind, like, in the room where you are? Well, so that's that's true. It is actually, I mean, in all honesty, it is a little bit windy. So if you hear what sounds like ghosts in the background of the podcast, it's because five people were murdered in Brian's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was good. I didn't see that coming, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, okay. So for the listeners, uh, I actually know how it's going in Hawaii. Brian and I just spoke on the phone yesterday, but we want to maintain this illusion that this is a totally unrehearsed endeavor. Well, you're not really doing a very good job, are you, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. Anyway, uh, 2018 is going to be a really exciting year for Real Footnotes. We know that it's been a few months since we've released anything, but we're working hard to bring you a new season, and we think that we have some great stories to tell. I'm pretty pumped. Yeah, so we're going to start releasing new episodes this summer, but as we promised, in the meantime, we have an off-season segment called Toe Notes. Because the toes are the margins of your feet. Toe notes are odd little stories or factoids that we've run across and want to talk about, but they don't quite deserve the full real footnotes treatment. Today we're going to talk about the state flag of Hawaii. But first, Jeff noticed something in the news that he wanted to share, and so we're going to debut another new segment. Okay, so we normally avoid talking about contemporary politics because it's not quite history. There are plenty of others that are talking about it, and mostly it just makes us sad. Yeah, go listen to Pod Save America if you want that shit. We're not, we're not getting into it. Right. If you, if you want to listen to a bunch of Democrats jerking each other off, go listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But recently, there's been a story in the news that we just couldn't ignore, and it starts with the so-called Nunes Memo. For those of you who don't follow American politics closely and need a bit of a refresher, Nunes is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. An oxymoron if there ever was one, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> That's right. So here's a quick summary of the Nunes memo story from the PBS NewsHour. The memo written by Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee begins with some stunning language. It speaks of concerns with the legitimacy and legality of how the Department of Justice and FBI have worked with the FISA, or Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, and says there is a troubling breakdown of legal processes. What's that based on? The memo centers on secret surveillance of Carter Page, an advisor to then-candidate Donald Trump. Republicans charged that the FBI and DOJ got permission to spy on Page based on flawed sources that were biased against Trump, and that the agencies knew that and hid it. Specifically, the memo says that officials did not disclose that the Trump opposition research dossier put together by Christopher Steele was funded at one point by the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign. Now, putting aside the fact that Nunes didn't actually read the underlying intelligence and history suggests that the intelligence community really needs effective and nonpartisan oversight, the central claim made in the Republican memo is that the FBI failed to disclose the Steele dossier's political origins when they applied for a FISA warrant to monitor Carter Page, a U.S. citizen. 
And let's not forget, the Steele dossier includes the infamous Golden Shower incident in which Trump allegedly hired a bunch of Muscovite hookers to pee all over a bed that Kenyan-born Muslim President Barack Hussein Obama once slept in. A story that I will continue to bring up at every opportunity because it's just so fucking hilarious. You know, I bet that's not the first golden shower in presidential history. I'm just going <laughs> on a limb, but it's, it's happened before. But the point here is that if the FBI didn't disclose the political underpinnings of the dossier, the Republicans argue that it would constitute a violation of Carter Page's civil rights and that it sets a dangerous precedent of politically motivated surveillance, something for which the FBI has been historically pretty guilty. Those are some pretty serious charges, but maybe not quite as nefarious as many right-wing pundits would have you believe. Here's Fox News's gaping asshole personified, Sean Hannity, <laughs> making a ludicrous Watergate analogy. Sean, this is bigger than anything anybody can imagine. And when you say that, that, this makes Watergate like stealing a Snickers bar. And Hannity's not the only one. Here's Republican Steve King of Iowa making an equally ludicrous comparison to an incredulous Chris Cuomo on CNN. This is earth-shaking, and it does go deeper than Watergate, and the memo doesn't deeper answer it all Watergate. by any means. How it, is it deeper than Watergate? Deeper than Watergate. And finally, here's Nazi cosplay enthusiast Sebastian Gorka on Hannity taking it one step further. And one smoking gun after another, it's incontrovertible at this point. It is, but it has to be put in the context of the history of our great nation. Remember, why was America created? It was created because of the usurpation of power, the capricious usurpation by a leader thousands of miles away. That's why America was created. This, this is a hundred times bigger. This is our government spying on political adversaries. This is federal law enforcement officials obstructing justice. Wow, he's truly fucking awful. Yeah, and capricious usurpation of power? What a fucking pompous douchebag. That's being polite, Jeff. Anyways, three weeks after the Nunes memo, the House Intel Committee released a heavily redacted version of a Democratic rebuttal, meaning the memo has a lot of text blacked out. So if you ever go to the CIA FOIA website, just spend like a second there and you'll see plenty of blacked out. Over blacked out. Yeah, that's called redacting. So who was responsible in this case for making those redactions? The White House. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I... it's not the committee or the FBI or Justice Department or something. It's the White House. Well, the FBI and other agencies... Do redact things, right? They can redact things, of course, but they are all members of the executive, which means the White House. So the ultimate responsibility falls on the White House. Yes. In this case, they sent the memo to the White House. They sent both memos, actually. But my question is, is did the White House itself, not the executive branch, but the White House itself redact this memo? Yes. Like, who had the black marker? Is it someone in the Trump, directly in the Trump administration? Directly in the Trump administration? Absolutely. So in, in the case of the Nunes memo, it went there and they were like, oh, this is wonderful because it suits our political objectives. Right. Let's, I remember they had five days to do it. And then when the Democrats presented, they kicked it back and said, no, they're sensitive intelligence or it had to go through some redaction process. Now, who carried out the redaction process? That's my question. That was the White House. Okay. So the reason why I know that it's the White House is because my PhD focused on a very similar incident that took place in the mid-1970s. But on that occasion, the Democrats just leaked the entire memo to, or in this case, it was called the Pike Committee Report. They leaked the entire thing to the press. Oh, shit. Yeah. There wasn't the, like any like investigation into that? Oh, yeah. Like, weren't they all guilty of leaking classified material? Yeah, but they couldn't figure out which person actually oh, wow, did it. Really? <laughs> yeah. 
That, no, it's sort of like it's like everybody stabs Caesar. You know? uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah. of us do it, so <laughs> no one can get caught. Et tu brute? <laughs> Et tu brute? Am I using that right? Anyways, the left-leaning Vox News proclaimed the Democratic rebuttal is utterly devastating to Nunez's argument. Well, left-leaning or not, it absolutely is devastating. And here's the thing. The source of that devastation was a footnote. In the Democratic memo on page 5, if you're curious, the authors quote at length from a footnote in the FBI's FISA application, which includes this statement. Quote, the FBI speculates that Steele had been hired to find information that could be used to discredit candidate one's, meaning Trump's, campaign. End quote. That's it. Game over. Political motivation disclosed. Nunes responded by complaining that this information was buried in a footnote, but to reiterate, a footnote located in a report that he hadn't actually read. Here's the congressman that can't pronounce his own name on Fox and Friends. Hefe, we're not really in a position to criticize anyone's pronunciation of names. So a footnote saying that something might be political is a far cry from letting the American people know mm -hmm. that the Democrats in the Hillary campaign paid for dirt that the FBI then used to get a warrant on an American citizen to spy on another campaign. So in effect, the Nunes memo that was supposed to expose crimes bigger than Watergate has been reduced to an argument about text placement and font size. Pretty fucking embarrassing. But it's a great object lesson in the importance of reading footnotes. Or in Nunes' case, reading anything at all. And we're not the only ones to notice this. Turns out the partisan nature of the dossier was mentioned in a footnote. Now, Nunes really should learn how footnotes work. He's about to become one in history. Burn! Right. She burned her. But you know, who reads footnotes except the secret judges at the FISA court, you numbnuts? Colbert, he always nails it. But there's one more footnote story in all of this nonsense. Okay. Like we said, the Democratic rebuttal was released with pretty heavy redactions, but one paragraph, and I'm going to paraphrase here, indicated that as of mid-September 2016, so before the election, important to the story, uh, the FBI opened investigations into a redacted number of individuals in addition to the one focused on Carter Page. Moreover, the FBI planned to continue its investigation into these redacted number of individuals with or without the Steele dossier. That redaction seems pretty reasonable. The FBI would not want to disclose the number of ongoing investigations at any particular time. Agreed, but at the end of that paragraph, on page 3 to be exact, there's a little number 7. And if you follow that number 7 to the footnotes, and notes actually in this case, you'll find that footnote lists investigations into Michael Flynn, George Papadopoulos, Rick Gates, and Paul Manafort. So, by simple deductive reasoning, we know the redacted number to be 4. Holy shit, the White House did some seriously sloppy redacting there. Did they stop reading at the end of the main text? Seems like it. I, I mean, are Republicans ideologically opposed to reading footnotes? Yes. Yes, they are. And this is why we're doing this mini-sode. To raise awareness about footnotes. Yes, they've been marginalized, by definition, for far too long. Help us tell you their stories. By giving us money. Now, we don't really have a way for you to do that yet, but if you want to PayPal us a donation at realfootnotes at gmail.com, we'll take your money. Yes, yes, we will. We really are planning on setting up some sort of sponsorship mechanism and merch store, but we haven't made any practical headway. I have a baby on the way, so Jeff, that's on you. <laughs> Fuck, it's probably going to take a bit then. Uh, but, you know, we'll get there eventually, so keep your eye out. Keep an eye out. Keep your eye out. So take your eye out. <laughs> so take your eye out and put it on the floor. Step on it. <laughs>
Okay, now let's turn to some iTunes reviews that we've received in the off-season. Remember that if you submit a five-star review, we'll read it on the air. Whatever it says, even if you talk shit about us. We have a couple of new ones uh, to read out today. Both of them are from Canada. And the first is by Bronsky Beat Miners. Miners? Miners. Does Bronsky beat miners? Yeah, I think so. A miner or a miner? Hmm. Like... <laughs> what, what was that like? The Louis C.K. C- C- joke, <laughs> which is in poor taste now, especially. But anyway, so yeah, let's let's um, move um, on, Brian. Let's move on. <laughs> so Bronski said, quote, well-researched and interesting perspectives makes this a very worthwhile listen. Kudos. Thanks a lot, Bronski. The second comes from Herd Skater, quote, I love the nitpicking of the smallest details and holes in arguments juxtaposed with hilarious sponsorship plugs. Keep them coming. Said your mom at the orgy. (laughs) Moving on. Okay. Our first tono began with a question that Brian raised when he first moved to Hawaii. Yeah, I was almost immediately struck by something peculiar. In the top left corner of the Hawaiian state flag sits the Union Jack. Yeah, that is weird. I want to say it has something to do with... Captain Cook? Nope, but he did die on the islands. So I took this question. Wait, he died to on the, the islands? On multiple islands? Yeah. So there was a Captain Cook ghost at some point who died again <laughs> on one of the other islands, Brian? Yeah, he died in my apartment. Oh, he's one of the five. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I took this question to Professor Doug Askman, a historian of the Hawaiian monarchy at Hawaii Pacific University. Well, the first uh, Hawaiian flag was actually probably more British than you think. So Captain Vancouver, who was an early British explorer, uh, gave a flag to Kamehameha I, who was the first king of a unified Hawaii. And that flag was probably a red ensign. So it would have had the Union flag up in the corner and then a red field. Uh, Kamehameha probably flew that flag uh, himself to symbolize his relationship with the British. He liked Captain Vancouver. Uh, He wanted to enter into an alliance. Sometimes the British perceive this to be a protectorate, uh, but some sort of a diplomatic relationship with the British. And so for some years, the Hawaiians basically used this British flag, Kamehameha I. And for reasons we're not entirely sure about, but the demand for a specifically Hawaiian flag came up in succeeding years. And so the British flag was maintained to show the connection to the British that Vancouver uh, had introduced with the red ensign. And then stripes were added to represent the islands as well. So there are eight stripes for the eight islands and their colors have always been the same colors as the Union Jack, red, white, and blue. The arrangement and even the number of stripes has varied uh, over time. But in the middle of the 19th century, that was all formalized and the stripe are eight to represent the eight islands and then in a certain order and that has been the flag of Hawaii since the middle of the 19th century so even after the end of Hawaiian independence uh, that flag was adopted by the different governments that followed so flew under a kingdom a republic a territory and a state too interesting so King (laughs) Kamehameha right that's pretty good got a flag from a Brit liked it and flew it as his own It's weird, but a cool little story about why it's there. But I wonder why it stayed. Why didn't they just ditch it when they joined the U.S.? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. How they ended up as part of the U.S. is a whole other story. I want to say pineapples. And sugar. Yep. 
So Doug mentioned that the Union Jack has flown over a monarchy, a republic, a territory, and now a state. So naturally, I asked him why it has persisted and why it hasn't been changed to be more representative. You could even ask that question from a Hawaiian perspective. Why would you have a flag that has a sort of imperialist uh, you know, symbol in it? And there has been talk. There have been people who don't like to use it and will use other flags. There was even a group that claimed that there was actually a Hawaiian flag that didn't include a Union Jack. That is not historically accurate, but some uh, activist groups, sovereignty groups will not use the flag that has a union flag in it. But I think it's part of Hawaii's history and none of the governments that have followed the monarchy or including the monarchy have felt any need to uh, change the flag. So I don't think there's really been any official effort uh, to change the flag, although some people for various reasons uh, don't like to use it. But I think for even in the 19th century for Hawaiians, they were very proud of that flag, even though it had the Union flag and it was a symbol of the Hawaiian kingdom. Doug raises an interesting point about the political symbolism of flags. Well, the flag is really nothing but political symbolism. It's literally the symbol of a political unit. Touche. <laughs> now, the reason early modern nation states began to regularly use flags was to identify their forces in battle and at sea. Like, think of the pirate flag, right? <laughs> the Jolly Roger. <laughs> yeah. So this helps explain why flags are so connected to the military and nationalism. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends. Maybe not just nationalism, but subnational. It doesn't matter. But the flag is kind of like a trademark. It's like a logo. In America, it's star-spangled branding. So in the end, the reason the Union Jack is on Hawaii's flag is to respect the wishes of a widely revered Hawaiian king. I, what do you mean by respect his wishes? I mean, I can't imagine he wished for this. I mean, I can't... It, like. It wasn't like his deathbed wish that this piece of cloth would fly over the islands forever. I mean, well, he, I think it's probably more just to respect the tradition he started by flying it. Okay. Right? That kind of makes Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, anyway. Okay. So flags, like many other seemingly banal objects that we have talked a lot about on this very podcast, are contested cultural artifacts. Some people see them through the lens of patriotism. Well, others, like some of these native islanders, see them as symbols of oppression. Oh, yeah. What about the Confederate flag? No, that is a can of worms that we are not going to open today. And on that note, goodbye. First off, a big thank you to Doug Askman of HPU, for that lesson in vexillology and Hawaiian history. Remember to rate and review our show on iTunes. Check out our website, realfootnotes.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Real Footnotes. And watch out for another mini-sode next month. And we'll see you next time in the margins. Fuck yeah!